And welcome once again to another edition of A Plain Answer right here at Redeemer Broadcasting. I'm Dan Elmendorf. In the studio with me today, the Reverend Mark Diedrich. Good to be here, Dan. And on the phone, Dr. John Vance. Hello, everyone. Well, gentlemen, it's nice to have you here. The uh, subject before us today pertains to something we talk about quite often this time of year, I guess, and that is the baptism of Jesus. And uh, it is a significant event. And uh, before we opened the mic, we were talking about there's really five almost like major milestones uh, in the gospel narrative of the life of Jesus. And I'm wondering, uh, John Vance, could you uh, rehearse what those five milestones are with us? One of the things that that, uh, people will notice in reading the Bible is how much space is given to particularly five events uh, in the life of Jesus in the New Testament. And um, people know about his transfiguration and crucifixion and resurrection and ascension, but sometimes it goes unnoticed that his baptism actually appears uh, in the three synoptic Gospels and also figures uh, largely in the Gospel of John. So uh, it is an important event in his life, and the Gospel writers treat it as such. So again, uh, those five milestones, if you will, are the uh, baptism, the transfiguration, crucifixion, resurrection, and ascension. Mm-hmm. So um, this really is a major event. Uh, the baptism of Jesus, um, some say it marks his, the beginning of his public ministry. Yeah, It, it really does. Yeah. It, it does mark the beginning of his public ministry. And um, it so happens, too, that John the Baptist is given a lot of space in the New Testament, and it's either uh, John's ministry is either associated with his uh, birth, announcing it uh, as a forerunner, though he wasn't much older, but that figures there, and then also his public ministry when he is baptizing on the River Jordan, Jesus comes out to be baptized. Mm. Mark, I think I interrupted you. No, I just going to say, yeah, it does. It definitely marks the beginning of mm-hmm. of his ministry, and that's how it's set up, actually, in the Gospel of John. Although it talks about the incarnation there, you're really seeing the start of his ministry there with events that occurred around mm-hmm. uh, that kind of thing, and in the Gospel of Mark, you have it. You know, a some, starting point there. Something, too, that I, I noticed as I was reading about this uh, prior to today's uh, session was that um, modern scholars, we're, we're told, uh, believe that John the Baptist performed a baptism on Jesus, view it as a historical event to which a high degree of certainty can be assigned. And I think the point here is that, of course, as Christians we believe it, but even the unbelieving world, by and large, accept two essential elements of Christ's life, and that is his baptism and his crucifixion. That's true. I've been reading a a book by E.P. Sanders, who's a very secular uh, historian and author on the life of Jesus and what can be known simply from the historian's presuppositions, which would deny supernaturalism, and a great deal that is found in the Bible concerning Jesus' life. But one of the historical events in Jesus' life 
that the secular scientific historian accepts is his baptism. Yeah, and that, that was going along with what I was reading. I guess there was a quote here from a guy by the name of Dunn where he says that these two facts rank so high on the almost impossible to doubt or deny scale of historical facts that they are often the starting points for the study of the historical Jesus. Now, um, so here's Jesus, the Lord Jesus Mm -hmm. Christ, going to John the Baptist, and I I seem to recall the narrative that John was himself rather surprised by seeing the Savior before him. Yeah, I think some of the aspects of that, of course, from John's standpoint, was that he was preaching a, a baptism of repentance from sin, mm-hmm. and that's what his baptism basically focused on, and of course, seeing Jesus come. And again, he was Jesus' cousin, probably six months older than Jesus. Right. So when you see Jesus coming, he realizes who he is. Yeah, He's not just another man. He is, in fact, the Son of God. And so doing, and of course, he's he keeps telling the people about him, you know, he says, you know, I baptize with water, someone's coming who's going to baptize you with fire and the Holy Spirit, and guess what? I'm not worthy to unlatch his, his shoelaces, and now Jesus is showing up and saying, baptize me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And even if he didn't fully understand who Jesus was, and there are some indications where he has doubts, but it seems like when he baptized him, he's pretty confident that Jesus is special. But he knew his life already up to that point, and he Mm. was baptizing people who clearly needed repentance and forgiveness. And Jesus would have been a faithful, a very faithful uh, Jewish uh, first-century man, scrupulous in all that he did. And he was shocked, either from the standpoint that he already knew he was the Son of God and Messiah, or simply because of his uh, impeccable manner of life. But mm-hmm. he was shocked that he appeared on the banks of the Jordan with a common sinner. Yeah. Now, uh, we need to take a short break pretty soon, but uh, just just quickly, um, when Jesus responds to John the Baptist, um, he basically answers, at least in part, the why of his being Baptized, and he uses these words to fulfill all righteousness. Mm. Now, what, what did he mean by that? I wonder. Yeah, that's a that's a, <laughs> a, a load loaded there, question. and I think a, a lot of theologians uh, uh, have discussed this for years. But I think part of the fulfilling of all righteousness is again, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance for sin. Mm-hmm. Obviously, Jesus did not need any repentance or because he had no sin and mm-hmm. yet he was coming to become sin for us who knew no sin mm-hmm. and so in that sense he is identifying definitely with the sinner mm. and uh, that i think is part of it i know there's there's more to that and i think john can elaborate well there's a there's a wonderful work by oscar kuhlman on uh the baptism of jesus and Uh, This has to be theologically interpreted, of course, the way the words work. Mm. Uh, What does this actually mean to fulfill righteousness? Well, Jesus actually, in his manner of life as an observant Jew, uh, fulfilled the righteousness according to the law. But this means something more than that. And Mark has hit upon it here. 
uh, Kuman says that Jesus' baptism is a sign that he identifies with sinful human beings. He stands in their place. And this is significant, of course, when it comes to the cross. Because, you know, all through the Gospels, Jesus says certain cryptic sayings to his disciples like, I have a baptism to be baptized with Mm -hmm. that you know not of. Or can you be baptized with the baptism uh, that I will be baptized with? And this uh, initial baptism of Jesus in Jordan is clearly linked to his death. And so Mark is right. He's identifying with the sinner, and, and ultimately so much so that he becomes our substitute on the cross and bears our sins away. Mm-hmm. It, it, it demonstrates something else, if you will. It, it is a great example for us, and that's the tremendous humility of Jesus Christ. Here he is, the one who is sinless, the one who is righteous and yet coming. And baptism, in some sense, is a humiliation. Hmm. You know, what I, what I continue to, to uh, want to follow on uh, Kuhlman, he says, if Jesus was baptized into us, it certainly calls for the Christian to be baptized into his name and to hmm. identify with him. Yeah. So, a baptism is not an option for the Christian. No. It is not something that right. you trifle with or put away. It is truly our formal identification with Jesus Christ. And every Christian who names the name of Christ and, and calls him his follower and his Savior and his Lord uh, fulfills that finally in their own baptism. Mm. Well, that's great. And what we'll do is we will take a short break. Uh, Today you're listening to A Plain Answer. This is Redeemer Broadcasting. Our topic is the baptism of Jesus. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Holy fount of inspiration By whose gift the great of old Spoke the word of revelation Marvelous and manifold God the Spirit we adore Thee in the triune Godhead one one in love and power and glory with the Father and the Son We'll be right back with our program in just a minute. Now a reminder that your gifts to this ministry enable us to bring you thoughtful, Christ-centered programming 24 hours a day. Would you prayerfully consider helping us with a tax-deductible gift this month? Redeemer Broadcasting is a 501c3 not-for-profit broadcast ministry. We're entirely listener-supported and have no advertisements. If you would like to help support us this month, and perhaps in the future, our mailing address is Redeemer Broadcasting, Post Office Box 1520, Olive Bridge, New York, 12461. Once again, Redeemer Broadcasting, Post Office Box 1520, Olive Bridge, New York, 12461. Stay with us now for the second half of our program. Author of the new creation, giver 
And welcome back. You're tuned to A Plain Answer here at Redeemer Broadcasting. I'm Dan Elmendorf. In the studio with me today, the Reverend Mark Diedrich. On the phone, Dr. John Vance. Today we're talking about the baptism of Jesus. And uh, before we took our break, we did note that Jesus himself said that the reason he was being baptized by John the Baptist was to fulfill all righteousness. And um, there was one uh, commentator that wrote this. I uh, see if you guys uh, can resonate with this, no pun intended, that uh, Jesus fulfilled the law from our side as a human being so as to fully represent us. Yeah, when when we talk about the righteousness of Christ, we often talk about it in two ways, his active uh, fulfillment of the law and his passive, mm-hmm. uh, passive being on the cross, and and uh, but the active was his life, yes. the life that he lived. And understand at this point he's he's probably thirty years old, which means he he had lived a, a, a fair portion of his life mm-hmm. and had done so perfectly. Imagine that. Yes. Now, uh, also before the break, one of you fellows, I think it was John Vance, mentioned that. Baptism is not an option, and I'm wondering if we can explore that just a little bit more uh, this side of the break. Jesus would not have been our Savior unless he had fully and completely identified with us. And also, that identification means taking upon himself our sin. Hmm. But uh, it's also true that he, in the Great Commission, commanded baptism. And so baptism is not an option by command and by example. Uh, We are to identify ourselves in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ through baptism. And uh, sometimes we Christians in the West, particularly in the United States, we do not take uh, these so-called ceremonies uh, very seriously. We think they're just uh, uh, harmless or innocent ceremonies. But if you were to be baptized, let's say, for instance, in a country like Saudi Arabia, Hmm. uh, if a Muslim is baptized in the name of Christ, that is a death sentence. So they take baptism seriously. In Egypt, it's the same uh, sentence. If if a a Muslim convert to Christianity, uh, they can talk about Jesus and a whole range of things, but once they submit themselves to baptism... They take that sign seriously as a mark that a person is identified with Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. So it always is baffling to me why some Christians, and I talk to them, they'll say, well, I'm a Christian. And somewhere along the line I may find out they're not baptized, and I will ask why. And they'll say something like, well, it's just a ceremony. No, my friend, it is not only uh, uh, commanded of God, uh, it is also following the example of Jesus Christ and being baptized into his name. Mm. Yeah, that's a good point. You know, I'm almost tempted to say, uh, wow, um, our um, 
the, the Muslims uh, in Saudi Arabia in Egypt, uh, in in some sense, um, better recognize the significance uh, of baptism than than some Christians do today. You know that's ironic, isn't it? It is. It's yeah. true. Yeah, yeah. We we treat some of this so so lightly. I mean, even Paul, he's talking about it. I'm just looking at the Colossians passage, but reiterated it in other places too. He says we have been buried with him in baptism, yes. in which you were raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God. Yes. And he said that's the identification we have with him. That baptism has uh, the power of, of Christ's mm-hmm. death, if you will, resonating through it. Yeah. Well, it identifies it with his death, but it also identifies with his resurrection. Uh, absolutely. And the, the whole, the whole package there. As you well know, Mark, in Westminster Church, part of the fencing of the table uh, for people to come to communion is that they must be baptized Christians. That's right. And I do not serve communion to unbaptized Christians, even though they may be genuinely Christian. Right. Uh, they right. are not admitted to the Lord's table until they uh, receive the sacrament, if you will, of initiation. Right. That's really what it is, isn't it? The yeah. sacrament of initiation. And that's absolutely right, too, because if you're coming to the Lord's table, um, you should be one who's, whose heart is desirous of serving God. And if you can't even take the first step of being baptized, which I don't know of any Christian, decent Christian exegesis that says there is not a command to be baptized for Christians. Mm. I mean, it's there. Uh, you can't get around it. And for a person to just uh, leave it. And, a casual and, attitude toward it. It is. Not unfounded. It's, caval- it's totally a cavalier attitude towards baptism. It suggests a cavalier attitude towards God and Jesus Christ. I, I sometimes wonder if we've developed, or some people have developed, this cavalier attitude um, because uh, we're taught that our works don't save us, okay? Mm-hmm. Our works don't save and baptism certainly is a work, and we're saying that it's absolutely essential. We do need it, and yet we're also, on the other hand, saying it doesn't save us. But um, maybe this would help. Um, it, let's say you have person A, and person A says, yeah, I'm a Christian, and yet then you approach them with the clear teaching of Scripture that they must be baptized, and then they say, Absolutely not. I will not be baptized. Well, then, uh, not that baptism uh, is a work that saves us as such, but then you can say, wait a minute, since they're not willing to follow our Lord in baptism, um, we're not at all sure that they're even saved. No, look what happened at Jesus' baptism. When he was baptized, to show you how important this event is in the New Testament, the heavens opened. Yes. That was a sign in, whenever that expression is used, that a divine revelation is taking place. Hmm. The heavens were opened. Moreover, the dove-like descent of the Holy Spirit upon him, and the voice from heaven, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Yes. Here the triune God reveals himself in the person of hmm. Jesus Christ. And I... Uh, for the life of me, cannot understand anyone who would not appreciate, much less resist, baptism in the divine name and be identified with the Father who loved us and sent his Son, the Son who died for us on the cross and was raised for the third day from the dead, 
and the Holy Spirit who sent forth enable us to live the Christian life and to gather together his church. Mm. That's a good point. And um, I was going to pose the question, uh, how is it that the baptism of Christ ties into the teaching about the Trinity? But you've already covered it just then. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that well, is, it is. And that manifestation, revelation of the Trinity, one of the reasons that the Church has identified at the head of his creed that God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Yeah. You know, there there have been uh, Trinitarian, I hesitate to use the word Trinitarian heresies because it makes me sound like I think the Trinity is a heresy. Yes. Of course it is not, but there there's some been some understandings over the years. One of them was called modalism. And, and modalism basically said that God the Father existed in the Old Testament, then Jesus came to earth, and God then existed in the person of Jesus, and then Jesus ascended, and then now God exists in the in the person of the Holy Spirit. One God, and yet three different modes in which he was. But when you hit that baptism of Jesus, you have the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, all there, all at once. Present as persons. Yep. And, of course, there is the danger of tritheism right. as well, which is separating persons in such a way that there's not one God. Yes. When we look at the baptism of Jesus, it seems there are similarities for us and also dissimilarities. The similarity is that one similarity or you know, conclusion is that, yes, we need to be baptized, and Jesus is our example. The dissimilarity, it seems, is that um, Jesus didn't need to repent. He was the sinless yet Lamb of God. Um, he never sinned. And so we're unlike Jesus in this sense that we are not without sin. And we need to repent initially to come into the kingdom of God. Um, we need to repent on a daily basis, First uh, John 1, 8 and 9. And so um, we have a special need before the triune God of the Scriptures. We need to seek God's face. We need to turn from our sin, uh, not just initially, but but even on a daily basis, it seems. Yeah. One of the signs that the baptism is, of course, is, is that the water is a cleansing. And, of course, when we're talking about cleansing, we're talking about being cleansed by the blood of Jesus. Mm-hmm. It's his blood that cleanses us from all sin. And uh, the sprinkling of his blood, just as the lamb's blood was sprinkled on the altar, mm-hmm. uh, Jesus' uh, blood sprinkling and cleansing is that which cleanses us. And, of course, Jesus, of course, needed no cleansing like that. But yes. we definitely do, and it was, it was Jesus who cleanses us. Mm-hmm. There are discontinuities and continuities between the baptism of Jesus and our baptism. Mm -hmm. Uh, Jesus' baptism was uh, done in the context of Jewish ablutions, or cleansing, Mm -hmm. uh, washing rites, as a sign of repentance. And John, of course, was a man, if you will, of the Old Covenant. In fact, he was called by Jesus the greatest. Uh, Mm -hmm. Nonetheless, in the New Testament, uh, baptism is a New Testament sign, and under its sign there is a promise of the forgiveness of sins and the receiving of the Holy Spirit. It's the uh, rite of initiation in the Christian life, either for mm-hmm. uh, adults, of course, and, of course, people like Mark and I who are Presbyterians, we believe that children are to be baptized as covenant children. Right. Uh, nonetheless, uh, the early Church took baptism so seriously that they even questioned, and I think wrongly so, uh, 
but they question whether if you committed certain sins after baptism, whether you could be forgiven or not. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, my point is not that sins can't be forgiven after baptism. We, we, we think they were wrong, at least I do. Yeah. But the important <laughs> thing is they took it seriously as the mark of the Christian. Yes. And that's, I wish again, we would begin to do that. The Westminster Confession that I confess makes a wonderful statement about baptism. It says it puts a distinction between us and the world. It marks us out as belonging to a special community because we belong to the body of Christ. The great head and king of is Jesus himself. You know, I was just looking at the clock here, and I motioned to Mark here in the studio. Um, we just ran out of time. <laughs> so let's consider that to be the conclusion for our discussion today. It's a beautiful one indeed. And encourage any listeners that if somehow you've kind of slipped through the cracks, as it were, you're a believer in Christ, never receive this sign and seal of God's covenant of grace, that of baptism. Uh, by all means, this Sunday, talk to your pastor, talk to your elders, and get lined up to be baptized. Uh, it's a wonderful thing, and yay, it's even a requirement for the Christian life. Uh, this is A Plain Answer, and uh, check us out online at RedeemerBroadcasting.org. In the studio with me today, the Reverend Mark Diedrich. On the phone, Dr. John Vance. If you have a question for either of these fine pastors, we would encourage you to email us. Use the address ministry at RedeemerBroadcasting.org. Quick reminder to join us again next week for another edition of A Plain Answer. In the Master's way Let thy strong swift sword protect us Warring in the evil day Shall the church now faint or fear When the Comforter is near God the Spirit we Adore Thee in the triune Godhead One, One in love and power and glory with the Father and the Son. God the Spirit, we adore Thee in the triune Godhead One. now